All right. Hebrews chapter 3 is a pretty short chapter, so let's just read it all the way through. Um, God, I pray that you bless your word, that you would just let it sink deeply into our hearts, that you would give us the revelations we need and leave this time. All right. Hebrews chapter 3. Um, all right. I'm going to go ahead and read it. If you guys uh, do me a favor, when you guys come on in, mute your mic for me. That way uh, there's no background noise or that way whoever's talking can be heard clearly. And then if you want to speak, just raise your hand in the chat or say, I have a thought or a question and we'll get to you. All right. So let's do this. Hebrews chapter three. That's where we're at. It says, uh, therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. He was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all of God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than, than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. And now Moses was faithful in all of God's house as a servant, to testify to the things that were to be spoken of later, but Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation, and I said, they always go astray in their heart. They've not known my ways. Um, As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, today if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Wasn't it all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Wasn't it with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Unbelief. Oof, that's the issue. If you'll notice twice in this passage, uh, the same um, psalm was referenced. Um, So we'll tackle that when we get there. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1. Let's back it up. And if you uh, have any questions, thoughts, um, insights, comments, whatever it may be, just put your hand up in the chat. Or let us know that you have something to say. But starting with verse 1, it says, Therefore, um, in light of chapter 2, which we probably should read, it says, Because he himself has suffered when tempted, he's able to help those who are being tempted. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. He was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all of God's house. Just in those two verses, do uh, you guys have any thoughts, questions, uh, insights, anything that might stimulate conversation? This is more about all of you guys you know, speaking and sharing your thoughts as opposed to me talking. I'd rather just listen. So if you have anything, uh, let us know, and then you can unmute and share away. Share away. Thoughts, questions? It's interesting that we look at this and see the word apostle. Because when we see apostle, we usually think the one sent by Christ. But Christ was the one first sent above all. And so this is what he came to do. The cup of the wrath that he had to drink. The things that he had to fulfill, his purpose for being here, the being the incarnate Christ himself. I noticed that word apostle too, and I don't think it's ever stuck out to me until this moment. 
thought, huh, I've always just flown right past that. He is referred to as the apostle of our confession. And notice there's a comparison being drawn between Moses and Jesus, and it relates to the last thing that was said in chapter 2, which is that he's our high priest who can represent us because he has suffered and he knows everything that we experience in this human life except sinning. He's been tempted, right? But without sin. And that's why, you know, um, he's able to sympathize with our weakness as the perfect high priest. So there's something about Jesus being better than Moses that should uh, that relates to his high priesthood. Him being the mediator between us and the Father. Him being able to represent us before God. It has to do with him being better than Moses somehow. Uh, that's, at least that's what the author's trying to get us to see. So. I would even add one tidbit to that, Moses and Aaron, as Aaron more portrayed a high priest and Moses the servant. Together, it took two of them to be what one of Christ is and who he has called us to be today. Yeah, agreed. In fact, I think Aaron will be referenced later in the book of Hebrews, for sure Melchizedek. I don't know if Aaron's reference. Let me check that real quick. Because you, that's a good point. Like if if Jesus is going to be, uh, I don't know, com- you know, said to be the ultimate high priest, a good starting place would be to compare him with who the first high priest we see at the institution of Israel's, you know, kind of system, temple system. Um, yeah, chapter five, we'll see Aaron interesting but he doesn't bring him up first if i was going to you know make a a strong statement about jesus being the high priest i'd i'd go aaron but for some reason moses is referenced first and then chapter 5 aaron comes in and i think in chapter 7 he's referenced as well those are the only two times we see aaron so aaron seems to be uh taking the the, the backstage to moses reina go ahead I don't, I don't know. Um, I'm sorry. I'm choking a little bit. When it says, wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession. Okay. Maybe I just read that wrong, but I was just thinking because Jesus is greater than Moses. Maybe it was referring to Moses as the apostle and Jesus as the high priest. I'm reading mine right now. It says, consider Jesus, and then it's going to describe Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. So both. Interesting. I I mean, I, I saw that it was apostle, but it's almost like Moses and Aaron will come into this for sure. But for now... The idea of high priest and apostle, Jesus is the perfect of both worlds. And so Moses seems to be less along the lines of high priest and more along the lines of uh, another sent one, kind of like an apostle, but for the Israelites in the Old Testament. So uh, in that sense, Moses uh, building or being a part of the house as an apostle uh, which we, I think it's fair to say he was sent by God, right, to lead the people and build something, right? So it's fair to call Moses an apostle, um, and Jesus is better than him, just as he's a better high priest than Aaron. So yeah, Jesus is the the one who's referred to as an apostle there. It's just, uh, yeah, there's a lot happening that I didn't see before this study. That's why I love studying with you guys. Uh, Daniel, go ahead. Hey. Yeah, and um, just as you were speaking and reading that, in that apostle sense, like messenger of God, in a sense, really, um, you look at that side of it, and I think when you look at Moses as a connection there in this, um, uh, sorry, the, uh, sorry, sorry, not Moses, get back again, the apostle, he was, I look at it as um, uh, representative in these days he's the final word jesus is the final word on all things right you know before he spoke through the law and the prophets and now jesus is as we look at that connection there 
it's like to say he's that complete authority. And that's one thing I'm seeing on that side. But the confession side, when we talk about that, you know, if we're going to have a high priest, he has to be sinless. Each one of these things that he's being compared to is that Jesus is the sinless one, that is man with God joined again, so that we, when he goes through as our priest on our behalf, he's bringing a confession that is perfect in the likeness of Moses was for the Israelite people on the Mount Sinai when he was actually, when God could have actually, you know, got rid of them all. You know, he actually spoke on behalf, right? So there's that connection there where he comes with a perfect, like a, a confession or representation or a testimony. Now you've got Jesus doing that for us through that priesthood, um, which is that once and for all type of thing for all humanity connection. I was just sort of throwing that into the mix. That's what I was saying. Yeah, especially when you get to chapter 10, that once-for-all language. Yes. Yeah, very different than the priesthood that usually gets picked up by the next, you know, descendant, and then they die off, and then someone else picks it up. Jesus is the once-for-all, uh, for sure. And the faithfulness. Notice in, in verse 2, the faithfulness of both are being compared. Um, Moses was faithful, but he wasn't perfect. The faithfulness of Jesus, though, exceeds the faithfulness of Moses and verse three will tell us how it says Jesus um, has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. Um, I, th I think it's fair to say the house as it stands is the family of God and um, it started with the nation of Israel. And those who were spiritual Israelites had the faith of Abraham, are a part of the family of God. And so Moses, in that house, that, that's great. Like, what an honor to be a faithful steward. But Jesus, he's, he's so much better in glory and faithfulness. It's like you're comparing the house to the builder itself. Um, and so it's interesting. Jesus is, in this analogy, being called the builder of the actual house not just the cornerstone not just the foundation but like what was prophesied to david that his descendant would build a house for god solomon didn't fully fulfill that that was talking about the actual family of god that jesus would build and the temple would be a symbolic representation and foreshadowing of that um if that makes sense any thoughts on verse uh, three fellas and ladies and yeah, DJ, I'll let you read after this. Sorry, buddy. I got you. Thoughts, questions? We kind of skipped over. I mean, there's a lot here, so I, I get it. But in verse one, like we skipped the whole we share in a heavenly calling part. <laughs> Like that's that's the main point. Uh, he says, "You who share in a heavenly calling." It's like pause. Go back to chapter two, verse fourteen, and look at what it said of Jesus. The children share in flesh and blood. Jesus himself partook of that to destroy death and the devil, and to deliver us. So that now, fast forward, chapter three. We can share in a heavenly calling because he shared in flesh and blood with us. It's the transaction, the great transaction that takes place. And it's a heavenly yeah, call. Well, yeah, that, that's sorry, bro. That's, that, that's what I was saying. That confession, like as the builder for us as the stones, to, that's why him as the sinless one coming in um, to do that on our behalf is that why is that better than Moses, you know, and why it's better than. You know, that, and he's that the perfect priest and the Moses that, um, representative of us, so that our confession now, his confession and testimony, his work be transformed to those who, who respond to that calling that we're talking about. And that's where now, when he's the bit better builder, he's the one building us into the stones that we are of that of the of the house. Um, and that's the perfect way it was always meant to be. Um, yeah, it was really seeing that. Amen. Yeah, he does. Yeah. He builds for us a new life. And it, oh man, 
he calls them holy brothers. You share in a heavenly calling. And he says, consider Jesus. You know, he'll say this in chapter 12. Um, consider Jesus, look to him. But it's it's interesting, like, to encourage, because remember, the context is that he's, he's encouraging some really um, suffering, struggling Jewish people, some of whom have accepted Christ, some who are on the fence, and some who have who are considering Jesus, but eh, it's like with the temple. So you have a variety of people, and Jesus, or uh, the author, is encouraging them to like not go back to the lesser, but you actually share in a heavenly calling. Look at Jesus, our High Priest. He's faithful to Him who appointed Him. So that appointment language uh, is very. Very important too. Uh, Jesus didn't run his own rogue show. It was always in submission to the will of the Father. It was always what I see the Father doing, what I hear the Father saying. That's what I do. That's what I say. I do the will of the Father. He was appointed to do a certain thing. He was appointed to build the house. Um, whereas Moses was appointed to steward and serve in the house, Jesus is appointed to build that thing, which makes sense. He's a carpenter, but. Um, you know, being the master builder of a spiritual house is pretty impressive. Seems like something only God is capable of doing. I think that's that's the parallel being drawn here is Moses is lesser to Jesus because Moses is created. Jesus is not. He's eternally existent. But like I said, I don't want to talk the whole time. I want to hear you guys. Like Paul says, he destroyed the temple, his body, and rebuilt it again the third day. Yeah, I just read that in Matthew. That's how they pretty much get him uh, on the cross is they accuse him of saying that stuff and they twist it. And he said he'd break the temple down and raise it up three days later. And um, there's a lot to that, man. He's a greater Solomon. Jesus himself connects himself to Solomon. He says something greater than Solomon is here or the temple is here. Something greater than Jonah is here. And all these ways of him being a greater picture. Or the fulfillment, rather, of those pictures. I have something. Yes, finally. Someone talking. Go ahead, Christian. <laughs> That's funny. Um, Let's see. Given he said, it says that, um, oh my goodness, I lost the passage of it. There is, where was I? For Jesus has been accounted worthy of more glory than if Moses such as as much according as the builder of a house has more honors than the house itself. For some reason, my mind wants to, I mean, wants to go to a different direction, and I'm going to do my best to at least, I'm going to do my best at least to, like, tackle both of them and not get off track. So, to make it simple, as one, it really reminds, I guess, reminds us, reminds me of how, like, I guess I can tackle the second point and go back to my first point. This second, oh my goodness. So, the point I guess I'm trying to make is what's processing in my head, it's basically how the foundation, like in Ma Matthew, um, when it talks about the foundation of our faith, is it found on, is it found on the sand or is it found on the rock, which it's as we know it's Jesus, and so it really puts into perspective at least for me how like God is worthy enough to build um not only it's worthy to be our foundation of where we build our hope, our trust in uh in but at the same time he is the one that's that needs to be building I guess um us uh spiritually if that makes sense like he has everything 
he has everything that we need and he can supply no he supplies us with everything we need to build uh to build i guess the um from the foundation of our faith to build to build us up to have i guess a a structured house I don't know that can withstand the storms of life and the temptations and trials of life. That if that makes sense. Um. So I guess just leaning on Christ to build, uh, to build us up and to maintain, um, I guess, the, uh, our temples. If that makes sense. That's just where my mind is honestly at at the moment when when I think about this. Um, Jason, I have some. Yeah, go ahead, go ahead. I'm I'm searching a verse that you brought to mind, Christian. Whoever was saying they'd like to go, go ahead. I um was thinking about I talked about Jesus and Moses. They were both apostles, and that they were both sent by God, because that's what apostle means, and. Jesus accomplishes us two things that we needed was first to hear from God by knowing who Jesus was and then to be given a clear revelation of his will, of what God's will was, being our high priest. So Jesus was also our apostle sent from God to be able to tell us and reveal what God's will was for Jesus for us to become our high priest and what he would give us through that, through forgiveness of sins, becoming our savior. Does that make sense? Say the last part again, because I was tracking okay. a little bit. Lost okay. It. Well, an apostle is one who sent. So Moses was sent to deliver, you know, um, the slave to bring, bring God's people out of, from sin through the 10 commandments and to the law and all of that. So that was that exodus through that way. Moses delivered God's people. Jesus came. He was an apostle sent. He delivered his people through, not through the same law because we weren't able to do that. He became the sacrifice for us and he became the high priest for us. So he was, they were both apostles sent by God to do God's will to, to save us. But Jesus became our high priest in order that he became the sacrifice to, for our sins to become, well, you know what I'm trying to say, right? But, um, yep. Yep. There's a, it's a different Exodus. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's the same thing that happened in the old Testament as in the new, but then it became, it became the same thing, but in the same sense, they were both, they were both apostles, but Jesus also became the high priest where Moses did not. Exactly. Moses had a limit. He could only go so far. Yes. yes. He actually tried on, on, on Mount Sinai to be yes. that mediator and high priest, to be the one who would be like, hey, how about you take me instead? And and, and God goes, That's, no, sorry, <laughs> you don't right. cut it. And Moses actually tried to play that role, but he could only go so far because he was imperfect. He was but created. We, we, yeah. And we needed a first hear from God, and we heard from God through Moses, from God through Jesus, in order to know who God was and to be given a clear and infallible revelation of his will for us, right. yeah. which was after both. Yep. And to Christian's point, Christian, you're not crazy. You're making total sense because all you, I can picture your brain working right now. All the scriptures are coming together. You just don't know which scriptures they are. First Peter chapter 2, verse 5 says, uh, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, um, in the in the sight of God, he was chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus. So, so you are correct, Christian, absolutely in that whole idea of. But we build our house, but he's building us. Exactly, it's not either or; it's it's both and. It's I don't build my house without God. It's he's actually the one supplying me the power to build my house on him. But he's the one he's that uh, 
you know, enables me to even do that. It's a partnership. It's a partnership. It's always been that where God wants to partner with humanity. And he goes, will you build your life on my truth? And you go, yes, I'll do it. And he goes, well, not without me. Like, I'll supply you what you need to do it. I'll be there with you. Um, just like Noah building the ark or, you know, Moses and the fellows building all this different things for the tabernacle. God is with his people. And we are actually the house, the family, the temple that he's building. So if you were to picture like Solomon took quite a while to build the temple and he employed all these people, right? Um, well, Jesus is also building something, but it's spiritual. It's eternal. Um, it's for sure able to stand unlike the temple of old that got destroyed. Um, and what he completes or stars, he will complete. It's really cool. So any other thoughts on just, just Hebrews 3, 1 through 3? Yeah. Just quickly, um, <clears throat> as you're speaking and, at least, and the guys has been sharing, um, it might be an obvious little thing to say here, but when you build a house, you go to look at these plans <clears throat> and you look at these display homes and you find out who all the builders are. And when you made the point before about the Jewish people always hung up on the Moses, right? And he was that. He was, I don't know, in your country, you guys, but over here, like APG is one of the most, everyone knows this house, the house builder, right? You know, because they got, they've got good workers. They've got all these um, materials that are good. They've got all the um, foundation. Like they, you know, after 10 years, they've still got a good reputation, their resale value, all these different things. Um, and the law and Moses represented to Jewish people the ultimate, right? And then, and in that sense, and so now here's come along, here's this new builder. And as you're saying, there's that spiritual turn or everlasting house that he's building in us. Um, it's actually now there's this new builder come along that's better than all the ones that you thought were good, nor your family thought that was good, nor they passed on. And even you could have been from that family line that actually used to build those houses. This one's better. And um, I think that's the shock to the Jewish people at the same time they would have been having to hear but then also know it's true because they've seen and witnessed him. Um, and so all that connection there is probably another way, analogy of just saying this is what this represents here and it's going to change all your um, history of what you thought was a good house builder and which one you want to now choose to buy with and, and now actually put your investment in everything you have for your own home, for you to have your family in. That's right. And, and the point, again, is to, to encourage the reader hearing this, listening to this, reading this, whatever it may be, and they're going, I'm discouraged. And, and the author's going, hold on, if don't walk away. If, if you're a part of this spiritual house or if you have yet to become a part of it, you need to understand this house is built by God. It's bonded together by Jesus. He's the foundation. He's the cornerstone. He's the one building it. It's spiritual. It's eternal. Um, nothing's going to stand against it. This temple of God, which is his unstoppable family, the gates of hell won't prevail against the church, right? You, you really want to be a part of this. He, it, you can almost hear the, the, the if you want to make it weird, like the advertisement in his voice. Like if he's really pitching uh, the sale, he's, he's making it sound really attractive. And so far to me, like I'm in. I want to be a part of a house that will last um, and will stand the test of time and will be there when all the dust is settled. I want to be a part of that. And um, yeah, they don't yet know how good of a, of an opportunity they're rejecting if they choose to go, you know what? I heard about Jesus, Messiah appointed the anointed one. Not sure about that. I'm going to go back to my temple system with sacrifices and the author's going, trust me, there's not much for you there. Um, so Ken, K-E-N, go ahead, buddy. So we speak of a house, a house being built. And to me, it always lately has been representing the heart, uh, because this is a spiritual house that is being built more so than anything. Jesus talks about a, a house built on the foundation, a house built on sands. The sands, to me, are the iniquities that we have kept in the depths of the sea, hidden away by these little pebbles. These little pebbles uh, can be translated as little bags to hide away something, to mark away something. So we put these things, our transgressions, into the sea, and they get washed up. And when we build our house on something like that, 
this world causes us to crumble. And so we can't build our heart into that, but we can only build it but on the foundation of Christ. And it is through wisdom who does this, because in Proverbs 8, it speaks about wisdom. And then in verse 30, uh, it is referred to in the New Living Translation, a few other ones, as the architect. And so when we seek God and we seek wisdom, he builds us, the architect of our heart. And then not, not only that, but when we receive our new heart, it is a singleness, an undivided heart, one spirit, one God, one Lord, one baptism. Together, we make ourselves vulnerable to each other because now we are a family. We share each other's testimonies. We bear each other's burdens. And the more we do this, the more strengthened we are. And the architect of wisdom herself builds us together, this house that Christ goes to to build us a home with many rooms. And so, and then one day we'll get to see the fulfillment of what this truly means that together, the more we come together as family and make ourselves vulnerable, we're strengthening each other, almost like mortar to bricks that this house of God is built greater and greater. Amen. Jackson. Go ahead. Got your hand up. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, amen to that. Uh, and I actually went into quite a bit about what I was gonna gonna talk about. Um, I just all glory God here. Um, I just find it incredible how our Lord Jesus is. He was a carpenter, right? Who broke down the temple of his body and built that back up. He is also the rock, our foundation, and the cornerstone of the church he is building, which is us. It's just, I just find it really incredible how it all comes, comes back together there. And it, if you, when, you, when you get deeper into the word, you can just kind of see how that pattern just repeats itself uh, the various ways that other people have kind of expressed here. But I was going to say more, but I mean, you, you guys did a really good job in just kind of expressing it there. So I, have much, I don't have much else to say. No, you're right. It does go deeper. The, the layers just begin to, the deeper you dig, uh, the more layers you see are actually interconnected and you go, yeah. well, um, builder and house and foundation and cornerstone. Yeah. All that. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's just like he goes, I'm the shepherd and the way into, and also the one that lets you in. And you're like, how, how are you all these? Because I'm the one that actually makes this possible. And this is just how beautiful um, it is that the God, man, the unique eternal word himself put on flesh to come down and, and be the bridge between God and humanity. I mean, who else can bridge the gap between God and man except God himself by putting on flesh? And that's the idea here is he built a house not in, in an impersonal, distant way by sending a few architects, running the numbers. You know, he himself comes down with the blueprint, um, accomplishes it, raises himself back up, and then promises that we also get to follow that blueprint in terms of resurrection. Um, so we are, we are a part of an unstoppable house, unlike the temple that got destroyed in AD 70. Uh, we are a temple that God actually upholds and sustains by his own divine power. And um, it's beautiful. It's the house that stands the test of time and judgment and the floodwaters. Uh, it, nothing can take it down because Jesus holds it together. And so you really are a part of something that goes so much, um, just so way beyond us, so beyond us but we're still parts of it. We still have a role. We can partner with God. And this is all, again, framed up as Jesus is the high priest, because look at how chapter two ends. He he talks about how Jesus is the high priest. He did what angels couldn't. So he was comparing Jesus with angels. And he goes, yeah, he's on another level, man. And now he's doing the same thing with Moses. Because, you know, as an Israelite, you you highly value highly value Moses. I mean, he's the guy that brought the Torah down. He's the guy that was instructed by God. I mean, he's a hero. Uh, and and you have a lunchbox with, this, lunchbox with this picture on it when you go to school. That's how much you love Moses. And the author's not saying Moses is bad. He's saying he's not good enough to bring us into the actual household of God. Um, he just was a part of making uh, a, a way eventually for the Messiah to come through Israel. He played a role in that, and that's awesome. Um, any other thoughts before we move to verse 4, which I think we already looked at? The house is built. 
the one thing I just another thought that popped up in my head is that how Jesus told his disciples or one somewhere in Matthew's gospel, I do believe he talks about how our our not yeah, our eyes are like a light onto our bodies and how the word of God is the lamp onto our feet, basically. And so, how much more, how much more responsibility that we have? Like, for example, like for example, how we have lamps that lights up our houses, and we have we also have things in our houses to keep it clean. So how much more so can we trust in the Lord and um, to help keep, I guess, like, for example, sin um, from, in, from making a mess in our temples? Like, since we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, how much more responsibility uh, does that give us as believers to, I guess, um, keep our houses, our houses clean. Um, if that makes sense, like in regards to not allowing sin to to pollute the areas of our lives, like that, God may want to use us with. You I mean, use us for his glory, um, since we are his temple. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, and another thing before we let DJ read, because um, Christian, you bring up some interesting points. Paul does say that we have this incredible treasure in earthen vessels. He seems to be referring to the the fragile bodies that we live in, which are fading. And somehow, you know, by the grace of God, we are houses individually and collectively for the spirit of God. I wonder in the mind of the original, you know, audience, what they would have thought about being, uh, you know, living stones in the temple of God. Did they see their bodies as houses or, or did they see more of uh, the, invisible aspect of themselves, their spirit as being um, not containers for the spirit. But I don't know. I, I wonder how far that analogy really goes when it comes to saying I, I'm, a, I'm a temple. Is it purely physical in nature or does it actually transcend that in terms of like when we leave this body, we, we still are grafted into the, you know, we're still seated with Christ. We're still as united with him as we were in our bodies. And we still have the spirit of God, I believe. So it must be, it must transcend the physical in what is what I'm saying. Cause we think our bodies house the spirit. And I think Paul is touching on that when he talks about th- these earthen vessels have glory in them. I also think it refers to like the knowledge of the gospel. But beyond that, I, I think there might be another dimension to this where uh, the spirit of God dwelling within us um, is, goes beyond just containing a, or a body containing him. Um, but that he fills the entire person in their unique uh, created selves, which goes beyond the body. I know I probably just said a lot of stuff that doesn't make sense, but I'm just thinking out loud. Um, DJ, I told you that you could read. I promised you are my guy. Go ahead. Hebrews 3, 4 through 6. I pasted it for you. You're all set. DJ, do you hear me? DJ, DJ, DJ. He said he's back. If not, I'll read. But I'll give you a chance, DJ. He's probably praying right now. Doing something spiritual. Like getting a hot pocket. Alright, he's sleeping. Hebrews 3, verse 5. Says now Moses was faithful in all of God's house as a servant. And look at his role as a servant. It's to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. 
But Jesus Christ, he's faithful over God's house, right? Both are faithful. Both have a, a relationship with the house of God. Jesus is over it as a son. And we are his house. This if, it says, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and boasting in our hope. And that if throws people off. But I can understand why. Any thoughts? Verse 4 through 6. Questions? The insights? Comments? Connections? Cross-references? Disagreements? I don't know. I ran out of ideas. But anything you guys want to say? Hands up. Hands up. Hands up. Not a single hand. I will sit here in silence and channel my inner youth pastor and wait till people talk. So that Jesus is over it. This is a uh, another way of saying to Lord over. When, when somebody is over it, they are above it. They Lord over it. And in some cases, you will hear in traditional settings that this is also what it is to marry something. And I believe it's in somewhere in Isaiah 51 or Isaiah 54, where it talks about he will marry the land. He will lord over this. And this will be his kingdom. You made me think of Matthew 12 when you were saying that, Ken, which, by the way, amen, made me. Think of Matthew twelve six. This whole conversation. Uh, Jason, um, did you did you call me while I wasn't paying attention? I did. I figured you were sleeping or eating a hot pocket or praying. Those are the only three options. Probably the third. But, I was actually um, talking can... to my mother, and I and wasn't paying attention. I zoned out. I, you're good. Um, why don't you read the next portion after I say a couple? Of, actually, we might be ending there for the night, so hold tight. But I want to say something real quick regarding. Um, Matthew 12, verse 6. This is what Jesus says. I'm not saying this. He says this himself. Yeah, actually, Matthew 12, 5. He says, Have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and they're guiltless? It seems as though temple takes precedence over Sabbath in that verse. But nonetheless, I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. That's what Jesus says. He, he not only compares himself to Solomon, that's how Matthew presents Jesus as well. He not only compares himself to, to Jonah being the greater Jonah or the greater David or the greater Moses, but now he's greater than the temple is what he says. And I wonder if that plays a role in what this means that Jesus is better you know, than Moses and he's faithful over God's house. Because you know, to be over something, like Ken was saying, means to have authority, ownership. Um, and in, in a sense, that thing has its origins in, in you or your creativity, which is what the, the house of God is. The people of God originate in the mind of God. He's thought this whole thing up. He's the creator. And so if he's going to build, it's because his creativity is coming forth and you know shaping reality. And here we are, the house of God. So if Jesus is over that, he not only is the builder, but just the originator of the whole thing. Moses is not. Sorry, buddy. Like Moses, you're fantastic. We will never minimize Moses. But like we see on the Mount of Transfiguration, uh, when it's all said and done and the dust has settled, only Jesus is left. Only he remains. Um, And so he's the sum total of the law and prophets in every way, shape, and form. Um, So any thoughts about Hebrews 3? I guess five and six, and then we'll, depending on the time, we might be able to get to the quotation in verse seven, but that's a big one. (laughs) It's taking an hour probably. Thoughts, questions, comments, insights, revelations? None of the above. Cheese man says, let's go another hour. Uh, James, I miss you, buddy. You're funny. Please stop yelling at me, James. If you don't get it, that's all right. Mm. I, am I love here you too, Jake. Someone said something. 
I'm here. Said, I love you too, Jason. You guys keep talking at the same time. Hold on, James. You go ahead. I was just being dumb. I was just saying I love you too, Jason. And then that was it. But he probably has some, DJ probably has something way more profound to say. So let's give it to DJ. Go ahead, DJ. Uh, I can read if you want to want to continue for another hour. <laughs> I wish I gotta get other stuff, but um, tomorrow's Friday. You know what that means? What does that mean? I don't know what that means. Let the rest of us know. Uh, Bible I'll, study. I'll t- <laughs> I actually have my first in-person Bible study tomorrow too, so I gotta get to bed. Um, In South Carolina, we have our youth night Bible study tomorrow. James, can you come? To to what? To our first in-person Bible study in South Carolina. Yeah, buy me a plane ticket. But I'll be there. Do you have a bike? Do you have like a scooter? I mean, I'm not going to bike, you know. I wonder how long of a bike ride that would be. I'm in Houston. Start, start now. You'll be here by Wednesday and you can hang around till the next one. I got a car. Why don't I just drive? <laughs> That's also an option. But I figured you might need it. So I'll just take it ahead. You know, it's also an option buying a cheap plane ticket there. Buy a Spirit Airlines ticket. It'll be $20. Yeah, I I like to live though, so I'd rather not buy Spirit Airlines. Let <laughs> <laughs> me do this since no one has anything to say about verse five and six. We'll at least read the the quotation in verse seven through eleven, which I'm gonna leave to you, DJ. I'm gonna put it in the chat. Hebrews three, seven through eleven. You go ahead and read that, and then we'll just ponder that as we end our night. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion of the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and I saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said that they always go astray. In their heart, they have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, thou shalt not enter my rest. Thank you, buddy. You got to read. Even though I know you secretly fell asleep, you got to read. So that's a, it's an accomplishment. Think about how that quotation from, I believe, the Psalms pretty sure it's the Psalms. Think about how that relates to what he's just talked about. Jesus is the high priest. He's better than Moses. We are his spiritual house, um, which we should have addressed that last part of verse six, which can confuse people where it's like, hey, we're God's house. If we hold fast our confidence and boasting in our hope, and then it's like, whoa, sounds like conditional security. Like to some degree, I have to do X, Y, and Z to stay saved or remain a Christian. And I'll tell you up front, I don't believe that's what it's saying. But rather, what will result from someone who is in the house of God, like who who is in the family of God. So Angel says, uh, so if I'm a house, do I pay property tax or does, does daddy pay property tax? It's always daddy. Um, you know, Jesus does tell Peter when they're like, shoot, we got to pay the tax. He goes, yeah, just go catch a fish. First fish you find, it'll be in the mouth. So, I mean, that might be the kind of thing that takes place for you. Ariel, don't worry about your, um, don't worry about your property tax. Just go catch a fish in the faith. Um, see what happens. You never know. But I want you guys to reflect on that. Just how that last that quotation, verse 7 through 11, you know, relates to, I, I would say, the end of verse 6, that we are his house if if we hold fast our boasting. In other words, it seems like the, the way he's phrasing that is, uh, if you are a believer, then you'll see X, Y, and Z, which is seems to be enduring faith. Enduring faith, uh, the holding fast, the confidence in Christ. He's our hope. Uh, faith seems to be locked into that for the believer. So James says, why would we harden our hearts if we hear his voice? The 
that that's exactly the the call to the audience is that those who have who are on the fence, those who have not yet responded or made a decision about the voice that has come bearing witness to the son, really the gospel. If if they're on the fence about it or they're not convinced or whatever it may be, he's saying, "Listen, do not harden your heart when he's speaking. This gospel message about Jesus carries even more weight than um the original system in the Old Testament. So you shouldn't harden your heart. This isn't a believer, but, you know, someone who's not yet a believer. I'll uh, even add to that. Um, In lieu of talking about the the ten virgins, they had the word of God with them, the lamp, but they didn't have the oil, the Holy Spirit. The word was with them. They tasted it. They read it. It felt good, can even be sanctified and having some cleansing from that. But you need the oil. You need the acceptance, the submission, the belief, the faith in Jesus in, in doing so. So people come with remorse. They come broken, and they get a taste of healing. But sometimes people just don't want to feel bad, but they also don't want to change. And that's the hard thing because that's where pride comes in. I want both worlds. That's why it's always good when we are keeping with our repentance, confess the truth. Lord, I believe, but I also help my belief. Lord, I have faith, but I also don't. Lord, I love you, but I also love my sin. Confess the truth, and he will transform you. Submit. Let it go. Be still. When we are being still in front of the Lord, we are letting go of ourselves submitting to the truth and so when we get somebody to the point where they are tasting the holy spirit the gift they're tasting the the love of god there's still that point where you need to still accept him because just because you have a contrite heart a heart that is crushed does not mean that you're still submitting to the truth because in time and time again the heart can be crushed, but eventually, because they choose to still love the world and their sin and their own justification, because truly what that is, it's, I'm justifying myself. It's okay, and it's not. And so the heart gets hardened. That's just part of the start of wrath itself, that we are given over to our desires. God says, but you really want this, and I want to give it to you. I'm sorry, but I really want you to accept me, but you really want this more than me, and I can't do nothing. I can't change your mind. I don't want to hurt you anymore. And so some people get to that point where their heart is hardened by the iniquities of this world, and they're given over to it. That's right, and that's what I in the chat I said. Look, hardening here, James, um, a believer. As far as I've come across, a believer will not, um, not because God's violated their free will, but because they've already made their decision. Um, someone who's on the fence, someone who has yet to come to Christ in a faith, they still have the heart. <clears throat> so, but I'll end with um, Raina, and then we'll get out of here. Go ahead, Raina. I'm sorry. I took my mic off, and then I cleared my throat. I um, I missed a little bit. I apologize, but... Something is just really prompting me. The Holy Spirit is just prompting me because um, it says promise rest for God's people. That's what we're reading, right? Chapter 4? Chapter 3, verse technically 5 and 6. But also, we read all the way down to 11. So up to Hebrews. Yeah, I heard you mention chapter or four, number seven. Did you, were you talking about seven through 11? Um, seven again, he limited a certain day saying in David today, after so long as it is said today, if you hear my voice, harden not your hearts. Yes, heard, that's what, exactly. It said for if Jesus had given them rest, then he would not have afterwards spoken of another day. When I've read Hebrews and when I've read the beginning of creation and the Sabbath of being on the seventh day. I'm not a Jehovah witness. I'm not a 
I'm not any of those kind of whatever. I'm not a Jew. I'm not a whatever, whatever. But I, I keep the Sabbath because what to me, when I read about the creation and God on the seventh day of what he did was his first day with his children. It was the first day that he got to be with the two people, the, 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 what he created for his companionship, for his love, his, what he, what he made to love because he didn't have anyone else to love. He, he made us to love, to, to, to have everything with us. And to me, that was so important. And he made that to be such a special day that he sanctified it. He blessed it. He made it holy. And when these people, and he put the commandments and they broke the first one, the second one came back and he put the word remember because they didn't keep the Sabbath. They didn't keep the Sabbath in the wilderness. They kept doing their own thing. They didn't spend any time with God. They hardened their hearts against him. They wouldn't even spend one day a week with him. That's what I. That's what is shown to me by the Spirit in all of this passage that they would not enter into His rest. That Jesus, if He had, if He had made another day and turned Sabbath to Sunday or whatever, He would have spoken another day. But all through Acts, they, they kept the Sabbath all through Acts, and it's even written in history about the Sabbath was changed by the Catholic Church and all that. And I don't want to get into that debate, but it breaks my heart because. It's such a beautiful thing of what God did. On the seventh day, he rested from all of the stuff that he did of all of creation to spend time with us, his beloved children. And we would not even turn around and spend one day out of seven with him. And it breaks my heart. And that's just what I see here. And, and I'm sorry, I just, I just had to stand up for that. I just had to say something. No, I can tell you that's your, those are your convictions. You're passionate about it. I made a mistake. When you read verse 6 in chapter 4, I was reading chapter 3, verse 7, and it so closely aligned with it that I figured your translation was just different. We have not gotten to chapter 4 yet. We I'm are so, so sorry. But hey, I'll I'm tell you sorry. what. We're going to get to the Sabbath rest. We're going to get to the seventh day. For now, he's moving us towards that by saying, hey, don't harden your vo- your heart against his voice. Um, because really the voice he's the author's talking about is the voice of God validating the Son um, at his baptism, at the Mount of Transfiguration, with the signs and wonders of the Spirit, with the resurrection, uh, with prophecy in the Old Testament. The Father has spoken very clearly about his Son and the salvation he brings. And if you harden your heart against that, um, there, there is no salvation. That's why I understand. he's warning people. And then we'll get to the Sabbath. Um, the I understand. Sabbath. Thank you. And I'm sorry. I apologize. You, you're doing great. So we'll get to that hopefully next week. I don't know how much progress we'll make. Realistically, I can see us getting there in two weeks. But um, we'll leave it at that. Cause... Jason, I have a question. Yeah, who's, who's speaking? It's Jaden. Jaden, what's you, up? Are you going through each letter one by one? Or are you just randomly selecting letters to study over the course of time? In on these Thursday night studies, you mean? Yeah. Are you going like letter by letter, or yeah, are you through. just randomly selecting letters to go by based on yeah. your own like teaching curriculum? Yeah, it's kind of random. Like, so we'll finish Hebrews when I'm like 55 years old, and then we'll <laughs> get, get to the next letter <laughs> whenever that ends up being. Um, but yeah, if you have a I was just going to suggest going to First John too, since that relates a lot to Hebrews, and people in the server have been asking a lot of questions about it. So I think that helped them. Yeah, yeah. Maybe you should do some teaching on First John and help them too. Potentially. A great job. You do a great job. But uh, yeah, for sure. Do you want to pray for us while we exit on out? Sure. So if I spoke. <laughs> yep, you're the guy. All right. Everybody ready? Okay, 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 Father Ken, I got you. (laughs) Anyway, I hear you giggling. Anyway, Heavenly Father, thank you for allowing us to congregate in your name once more as a family, as your temple, as your house. Continue to build us up in your name that we may be a reputation and thus shine and radiate your glory to all those who are in the darkness that they may see your son and have a relationship with you and your salvation. Because, Father, that is what this world needs. They need to see you. They need you. You are the Savior, the Redeemer, the Redeemer, our Rockcliffe. 
So in your name, we pray to you day in and day out as you give us breath, new life, for we're founded upon your cornerstone, your son, the Messiah. Sprinkle your blood upon us, Father, that we may be saved and healed. And also pray for spiritual healing and physical healing for all those who are of your name and all your people who are scattered everywhere, those experiencing persecution, those experiencing self-doubt, depression, whatever may be harming them, Father, or afflicting them. I ask that you bring them back to the fold and that you clean them up and give them new clothes that they may go out to others and tell of your great name. So in the name of your almighty Son, we pray to you, Father. Amen. Amen. Thank you, brother. Yeah, we'll talk about John, like I said, when I'm 31 in August, August 14th. So I'll turn 55 by the time we finish Hebrews. And so we'll talk about changing books then. Uh, in the meantime, I'll see you guys, see you guys next week. Yeah. Shalom. We'll be 75. Bye, guys. <laughs>